Hello and welcome to the MIT Press Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Gondek, and today I'm speaking with Stefan van der Stigl, the author of How Attention Works, Finding Your Way in a World Full of Distraction, which was translated by Danny Guinan. Stefan van der Stegel is professor in the Department of Experimental Psychology at Utrecht University. Stay tuned after the interview for more information about the show. Stefan van der Stegel, thank you for talking to the MIT Press Podcast today. Yeah, you're welcome. Your book, How Attention Works, Finding Your Way in a World Full of Distraction, is a trip through how the brain processes visual information and makes sense of the world. Would it be fair to say that the main point of the book is describing the difference between how people see things and how they notice things? Um, yeah, that's actually pretty fair. Um, and of course, of course, it's all a matter of definition. But um, So the, the main topic is attention. And uh, we, are, we are, every moment in time, we are bombarded with a lot of sensory information. Uh, like visual information, but it could also be tactile or auditory. And all this information, and let's keep the example to the visual domain, is projected on the retina. Uh, our eyes see the whole world, everything around us, but our brain doesn't process all that information. That would be way too much, uh, overwhelming. So what we do is we select part of that information projected on our eyes for further processing. And that's what we call attention. And attention allows you to notice things. So not everything that's around you uh, will be noticed, only the information that's attended will be noticed. I found it fascinating. There are a lot of fascinating things in the book, but the, the way that the brain operates and then starts creating chains of connection between things to end up kind of building blocks and getting it, of, of noticing things, to say, okay, well, that is something green. Oh, I think that's a tree. Could you talk a little bit about the neuroscience behind how people use these building blocks to make sense of the world? Yeah, so our visual system in the brain um, is devoted in within different areas are devoted to processing different building blocks. So in the visual system, we have one area that's responsible for processing color. We have one area that's pro that that's relevant for processing motion. And so these are sort of the basic building blocks of our perception. So an object in front of you uh, consists of a number of different of those building blocks. So a tree has a, has a certain shape. It, it could be moving and it also has a certain color. Uh, so because we have these different areas, this information has to be combined into one object. And this, this binding of objects, uh, that's what attention does. So if you focus your attention on something, a, a location in the world, an object in the world, all those building blocks that are over there, that are represented there, that are positioned there, they will be binded into one object. They will be bound into one object. So without attention, you do not really know whether a tree is a tree. You need attention in order to bind the objects, and then you will get the identity, and you will notice the tree. But without attention, there is no tree. There are only these individual building blocks uh, that, that's, that, that's, that simply are separate. What are the th another thing I got from the book is I would have never thought that uh, Dutch traffic issues could be so important to the question of how attention works. Yeah. But a lot of times you, you are bringing out examples of things that have happened on Dutch highways, Dutch, uh, on Dutch roads. Uh, yeah. is, is car traffic and people driving traffic, is it really a, a really good example that everybody can kind of take with it about learning about how attention works? Yes, I think traffic is the ideal example to explain how attention works because traffic, although you might be an experienced driver, um, you need to notice things around you. And this might happen automatically, uh, but you cannot process all the information when you're in traffic. And traffic is one of the situations in which it's extremely important to focus on the right information. Um, and because one error there could be fatal. Um, and this might not be a problem when you're reading a book, 
but in traffic you really have to pay attention to the right information uh, else you might run up in an accident so when people are uh, developing roads and when people learn to drive it's mostly all about attention you want people to notice the right uh, signs you want uh, drivers to look at the road and not look at their smartphone um, so that's why a lot of these examples come from the driving literature because that's, I think, is one of the crucial areas where attention plays, plays, plays an important role. I do wonder, though, you talk about examples of, we'll talk a little bit later in this, I think, about attention architects, people whose job it is to grab another person's attention out of the myriad sensory stimuli that are coming into them. But, for example, I live in Portland, Oregon, and I know other people in the United States have this thing where you'll see the billboards on the side that now have the motion, the kind of LED graphics that are, can really draw you in. Yeah. Do you think that's actually good for public safety? I mean, or is that is that such a good attention grabber? away from people who really shouldn't be having their attention diluted from what's going on on the road? Yeah, so I've, it's, a, it's a good question because it very much depends on the location on the road. Uh, like I've also been in, been in the U.S. and I know there are parts of the road where it's not really a problem to have your attention focused on a flashing LED sign. But that happens in situations when traffic is boring and when there's a straight road and there's not a lot happening. In those situations, attention can be directed from the road for a small amount of time. Uh, however, this is not a good idea in a location where there is a lot of traffic and where there's a lot of complicated traffic situations. Um, and what I know from the situation in the Netherlands is that that's not really regulated yet. And I do see these flashing LED uh, billboards on locations where I don't find it a very good idea to place them. So it very much depends on the situation. I wouldn't say that these uh, advertisements are not allowed, should not be allowed uh, on the side of the road. It very much depends where you place them, uh, because in some situations, attention is more necessary than in other situations. So it very much depends. So I kind of alluded to that in the first question. Now, we've talked a little bit, and the book you know, talks about the neuroscience of attention and seeing. But now I want to talk about the people that I briefly mentioned, the attention architects. Uh, yeah. It seems that the other part of this book is an introduction to people about attention architects and, in a way, making consumers and people aware of the, of the things that they do in order to keep people's attention. Was that another part of the book that you wanted to talk about? I, kind of a, I don't want to say necessarily a cautionary tale about, about attention architects, but just making people aware of the things that attention architects do that, they, that, that individuals may not be noticing on their day-to-day -day basis. Yes, absolutely. And I think we should also be aware that a lot of us are attention architects as well. If you teach, if you make a podcast, you want to convey a message. And what I, I think my main story for the book is, is that you have to grab someone's attention in order to transfer information. And the battle and the competition for our attention is becoming more and more fierce because there is so much information available in the, in the world around us. But attention is a filter. And eventually, although there might be more information than ever, not, this, this doesn't mean that more information can go through the filter. So in order to process and in order to transfer information, you need to grab someone's attention. And I think it's interesting to know about the basic rules of attention if you want to understand how you can convey a message. And I, I, I totally agree. There are a lot of people who are pretty much aware of this and use all the basic tricks in the book, in all the general books, but also perhaps my book, uh, in, in, in order to grab someone's attention. Um, there are these basic rules that you can use in order to grab someone's attention because a lot of the situations... Uh, these things happen in a reflex. If something uh, appears right in front of you, your, your attention will be attracted to that piece of information as a reflex. And that's due to how the brain is developed. We have this evolutionary development in which it's important that some information that is salient, that is potent, 
automatically attracts attention. That helps us in traffic and in daily life, but it can also be misused. It can also be used to grab someone's attention. For instance, notifications on your phone or notification of a new email or a flashing billboard in the city center um, can, all, can also be used to grab someone's attention as a reflex. And if you want to, uh, and, and if, of course, if you want to do that, you would have to understand the basic rules of attention. And I think it's on one side important to know how this works, because we also know that attention is, of course, crucial for things like concentration. And if you want to concentrate for a long while, you don't want your attention to be grabbed automatically by irrelevant information. So knowing the rules, I think, is important on both sides of the story. The, the people who want to convey a message, who want to transfer information, but also on the, the receiving end, people who want to concentrate. It's important to know which rules are being used. Could you talk a little bit about eye movement software? You know, I, I, yeah. I'd heard about eye movement software and eye movement tracking things before, just in kind of general things. But until I read your book, I didn't really understand how important it was and, more importantly, how important it's going to be in the future as the price comes down for individuals to track eye movement. So what does eye movement, first of all, have to do with attention? And then can you give us maybe an idea of what the future holds in the consumer sector for just the general public in having their eye movements tracked? Yeah, so eye movements and attention are highly linked. Uh, of course, if you want to inspect something in your environment, you can do it with, with your peripheral vision. But we all know that peripheral vision has quite a low acuity. So if you want to inspect something, you need to focus your attention, but you also need to move your eyes. And therefore, if something captures your attention in the periphery, you automatically will move your eyes to that location as well. So if you, know where some, if you want to know where someone's attention is, it's a very good idea to track someone's eye movement. It's not a one-to-one -one relationship, but it's a pretty good measure of where someone's attention is at any, at any given moment in time. And eye tracking software, as you say, is becoming more and more available. Um, uh, our webcams are getting better. The cameras in general are, are getting better. And this means that these cameras in your phones and in your, in your tablets can be used to track your eyes. And we can already see the first developments in industry investing in companies who develop this kind of software. Um, so when I do my research, I do it with very high-tech eye trackers. They cost about $30,000. But there are also no eye trackers available that cost less than $200. So this means that this technology is getting very readily available. And this, this will be used. And this has great advantages. But you can also think about situations in which you don't want people to know where your eyes are located. If you are looking at advertisement, where your eyes are located will tell you a lot about the things that you find interesting, because those are the things that attract attention. So this is definitely a development that's going to happen, and I think it's good that we start a conversation in order to sort of get a good idea, like how are we going to deal with this new development? So finally, several times in this book, you point out that age diminishes people's ability to focus attention. It's just the natural breakdown of the human body. Yeah. What are some sort of things can be compromised due to age? And are there ways to either halt or reverse this decline? Yeah, there are. Um, so it's first good to establish that, yes, the eyes um, also diminish, the quality of the eyes. But this is about attention. So this is the step after the eyes. Um, and this also is a problem, becomes a problem when you get older. So you can think of attention as sort of a spotlight that you focus on something. But you can also change the size of the spotlight depending on your task. If you're reading, you have a small spotlight. But when you're looking for overview, you have a large spotlight. And this is something you change flexibly all the time. A smaller spotlight, large spotlight. Uh, but when you get older, you have difficulty changing the size of the spotlight. And you have, and you have difficulty getting the large spotlight, getting an overview. Uh, so the useful field of view, as we call it, 
becomes less when you get older. You simply don't have that large spotlight, spotlight anymore. But there are actually some training, um, training programs available that have scientific evidence. That this is something, if you do that training, that can actually help you to keep your large spotlight intact uh, for a little bit longer than in situations where you don't use that training program. So it's something to be aware of because a large spotlight is important to traffic in daily life in, in order to get overview. And this is something that you can actually train. You know, leading back, finally, I was thinking the part of the book where you talk about in the Netherlands, there'd been a discussion about whether drivers older than 45 should be, have to take driving tests uh, just because of their, the decrease in their attention ability and the decrease in their eyes thing. And that I didn't really, I guess there was quite a little bit of a discussion in the Netherlands whether that was a good idea or a bad idea. Yes, of course. There are a lot of people who will make a lot of money if those tests become required, but there's actually no scientific evidence that when your eyes become better, worse, and your, and your attention becomes less, that you're also a problem in traffic because we automatically adapt to that situation. Um, and I think we all are, are all aware of it when you are in, in heavy traffic and you slow down. And when your attention and your uh, acuity becomes less, people also slow down automatically. So it doesn't mean that if you have poor vision or if you have poor attention, that you're also a poor driver because you adapt to that situation. Of course, there's a lower bound, right? In, <laughs> there's a certain situation where your attention and acuity become so poor that you are no longer able to drive anymore. But it doesn't mean that with a little bit lower acuity and lower attention, you actually are a, uh, are a poor driver and you are a danger in traffic. So there's actually no scientific evidence to, uh, to show this. However, I think in, in general, in daily life, if you want to speed up in traffic, of course, it's important that you that you train your attention span. Uh, but it doesn't mean that we have to now get these required tests for everyone uh, above a certain age. Stefan Vandersjigl, the author of How Attention Works, Finding Your Way in a World Full of Distraction. Thanks for being on the MIT Press podcast today. And thanks for having me. For more information about this and other titles, please visit our website at mitpress.mit.edu. Don't forget, the MIT Press can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening to this episode of the MIT Press Podcast. Copyright 2019, the MIT Press. All rights reserved.